0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: Hello, I'm David Kern with the Cersei Podcast Network, and this is the Ask Andrew Podcast, a weekly show in which Andrew Kern answers your questions about the purpose, essence, and practice of Christian classical education. The episode you are about to listen to was recorded this spring as part of the Ask Andrew webinar series and has been lightly edited to suit the podcast experience specifically. To learn more about the webinars, the podcast, or how to submit a question, head over to searcyinstitute.com slash askandrew. And with that, here is this week's episode. Hope you enjoy.
2: We are at Ask Andrew live for the fourth time this week. And our host is Andrew Kern.
1: Well, welcome, everybody. It's so good to see you again. Um, just a moment of quick review I'm gonna not review all the the different key concepts I've been talking about this week but I want to I want to review one of them because the question I'm going to explore has a lot to do with it and it's the concept of the Holy Trinity and you remember that one of the the points that I was trying to get across was that with the with the Holy Trinity we're looking at we're looking at a relationship between Father Son and Holy Spirit and the the difference, there is no essential difference between them, but as they are revealed to us, as, as, the, as the Son and the Holy Spirit are revealed to us in the New Testament, it's fascinating to me to see how, um, man, I was going to say how human it is, how much it reflects the fact that we are an image of God. And the Son, I wrote down some words thinking about this, we have the Son and we have the Spirit. The sun takes on flesh. The spirit is the breath or the wind of God, the breath of God. The sun reminds us of and, and, and practices discipline and self-control and self-denial. And the spirit is, is the spirit of inspiration, right? That inspiration comes from the spirit. Um, when we, so we can think of discipline and inspiration. Um, this this parallel, this way of thinking about the sun and the Holy Spirit is, is this Infinitely powerful. Uh, do I want to say concept? It's just an infinitely powerful reality. What's po- what's what's so dramatically different to me about it in Christianity is one that you also have the Father. So mm-hmm. they're brought together in the Father, and secondly, God becomes flesh, and that's so extraordinary. If you if you for example are um, um, a Taoist, you believe in a Yin and the Yang. The yin and the yang, but you don't have a third principle, at least so far as I can tell. There, there's, uh, I shouldn't speak. They probably do, but anyway, there, there's, there's um, all kinds of um, arts and, and existence, all kinds of patterns that that try to balance out the force and things like that, right? But the Holy Trinity is that that perfect balance of things. And so, so what I want to, what I want to, um, just hold on to that for now. Well, no, I will make one more point. I think that we see the Son and the Holy Spirit manifested in the corruption of the prodigal son and his older brother, and what I mean by that is the older brother is the heir, he's the one who is a, all he wants to do is obey the Father, at least he thinks so, right? but he takes that too far, and then the the younger brother is like the wind, he just blows as the wind wishes and and he goes off wandering and so on, and so he's more like. The Spirit, but he goes too far, and he's separated from the the uh, brother, right? Whereas the whole Holy Spirit and Jesus are never separate. The whole function or role or or joy of the Holy Spirit is to give witness to the Son, so that in Him we can know the Father. Now, what I'm getting at then in that story is that we both see the Holy Trinity manifested and see human brokenness manifested, don't we? So we have we have. The the raw underlying reality is that we are the image of a, of a Holy Trinity and that we need both discipline and wind or spirit, if you like. Okay, so all of that is to, to get ready for the question that that I want to address tonight, and I've misplaced it. So ah, just give me a different one. Um, just kidding. It's around here somewhere. Where would I put it? Oh, you know what? It's because I have two of them, two, two questions that are very almost the same question. Here's what they say. One says... I have a reluctant slash, and I'm not sure if that slash is like a Freudian slip of something the mom wants to do to the kid, or or just, you know, a grammatical thing. But I have a reluctant lazy reader. 12, loves to be read too, only reads independently when forced. Should I force, I think it's going to say force her to read audiobooks. I'm not sure. Um... It might be should I force the audiobooks. But anyway, the question is, should I force? Okay. I have a reluctant or lazy reader, 12 years old, loves to read, be read to, but only reads independently when forced. And I'm gonna take it as should I force her? Okay. And then here's another question. Um, I'll start with this. I, I wanna I wanna give my children a beautiful education. Don't want you to have to see the top of my head like that. But I'm failing miserably at keeping them engaged and desirous for learning. How do you entice a child who wants nothing at all to do with school? Well, that's me, frankly. I loved learning way too much to ever want to go to school. But now... Okay, that was, that, was, that was a mean thing to say, wasn't it? Okay, so I want to I wanna think about this with you a little bit. And I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, you notice the word reluctant. And, and this is a word I hear a lot when I'm, when I'm talking, especially I would say with moms. Professional teachers run into it too, of course. But, but, um, but reluctant is a word that is very common among homeschooling moms. My child is a reluctant learner. And then I ask, well, what's his name? And notice i say what's his name because 90 percent of the time it's a boy okay but that doesn't mean girls are never reluctant and in fact every girl is sometimes reluctant so we have to take that into consideration but here's my first question for you Uh, and just pretend you asked me this question even if you didn't if i okay so here pretending that you asked me this question what do you mean by reluctant what does it mean to be reluctant Does it mean that you lucked it once and now you want to luck again? Nervous. Uh, Do you mean you're enraged? Oh, enraged. That's not reluctant. That's just totally oppositional. Submit. Okay.
2: Dragging feet. Mm -hmm. Would rather be doing something else. Undisciplined, unwilling, hesitant, complaining. Uh, A child who says she hates school or is bored. She has a hard time with things being hard. Resistant to what I, mom, teacher have for them. Doesn't feel like he is good at the task, so doesn't want to do something he's not good at. Doesn't want to expose his weakness. It's a nice way to say, hate school. Unenthused. Um, Heart is not in it. Wants to do her own thing every time. Uninterested. Prefers passive learning. Won't choose to do it always oh i lost it uh i always have to ask a reluctant reader is there a reading problem i always have to ask at the word reluctant reader is there a reading problem um it could be a perfectionist who doesn't want to try if she thinks she'll fail fearful unassertive afraid of failing doesn't seem to see it as important maybe lazy would rather be doing something else i think i read them all okay
1: this is great i mean I might not have got. I didn't get everything, but that is a great list. A great list of of, of um, synonyms, definitions. Lacks confidence. Some of those begin to move in the direction of explaining reluctance. Some of them move in the direction of maybe solving reluctance. But mostly, that's a really good set of synonyms and definitions for reluctant. Okay. So I've got, I'm getting a good sense of, of what you, as a group, mean by reluctant. Well, let me ask you this question now. <laughs> this is the one I'll ask. How many of you were reluctant learners when you were children? OK, so it's a, it's a pretty good mix. Pretty good mix. OK, what do you mean by learner now?
2: An interested participant.
1: Well, then you can't be a reluctant learner. Didn't we say that a reluctant learner is an uninterested participant? When I didn't understand, okay. <laughs> Somebody has overcome being reluctant. Obedient.
2: Someone who is learning. Anyone gaining new understanding or knowledge. Someone who learns. Then there's a question Would it be worth it to draw a distinction between a learner, one who likes to learn stuff, and a student, one who sits under and is directed by a teacher?
1: Right. And then what Bridget writes, okay, I wasn't learning, therefore I was reluctant. Well, if you're not learning and you don't want to participate in what's going on because you're not learning, you're hardly a reluctant learner, are you? It's more like your teacher is a reluctant teacher in that case. A learner engages. activity not passive
2: Mm -hmm. teachable curious discoverer of the unknown
1: constant this is good stuff are you recording all this it the whole thing i'm gonna gonna write a book about this and take all the credit for it ah this is impressive
2: cares to listen or pay attention Book
1: learning Mm. as opposed to hands-on now those are two interesting options but yeah i'll never write a book Anybody who knows me knows I'll never write a book unless Andrea writes it and puts my name on it. <laughs> Wants to know. This is good. Okay, so so you're helping me to make some distinctions that are important to me. Let's take let's take this reluctant kid over here and this learning kid over here. Okay, that just whacked me on the side of my head what Liz just wrote. Mm-hmm. Liz, when you say it's more of a heart discipline issue, do you mean generally speaking, or do you mean you have this issue with your child and with your child, it's a heart discipline issue? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, so it's more of a heart discipline issue. That is a very fascinating way of expressing it to me. And what I want to do, what I want to do is um, hold that thought for just a moment and come back to what I was about to ask you to do, which is let's take this reluctant child over here and this learning child over here. Tell me, tell me one way. I'd ask you for three if we were in a classroom and had time, but tell me one way that the, learning child, the reluctant child over here and the learning child over here, tell me one way that they're the same. Okay. Child. Mm-hmm. They have their own interests. Good. God's image. Excellent. Both figuring things out, things to get excited about. Info they don't know yet. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Temple, love it. Have souls, wonderful. Okay, now, this next question, they imitate. This next question, I want you to be very careful how you answer this question. I love this. Okay, they have wonder. They have awe. They have something that thrills them, right? They have their own talent. They do have passions. God have mercy. Okay, so... So all of these, they're both human. They're all complex beings. Now, be very careful how you answer. Don't start answering this question until I explain how I want you to answer this. Because what I'm going to ask you next is kind of obvious, which is, how are they different? But what I don't want you to do is just say in some other way, one's learning and one's not. Or one's, one's uh, reluctant and the other's not. Just come up with something else besides that if you can, which makes it harder. I agree. But come up with something else that's that's different between these two, these two people. Environment could be. Ha, wanted his route. <laughs> like that.
2: Would you like me to read again?
1: Yeah, actually, that is helpful, yeah.
2: Okay. Um, one may see value in what's being learned while another doesn't. One is easy to teach, the other isn't. One is allowing something, a difficulty or an emotional state to get between them and the learning. One is interested in what the teacher is teaching. One is interested in something else. One is unattentive. The learner can see the value in the knowledge. Birth order. One may have a learning difficulty. One is excited to sit down and do bookwork. The other is excited to make a mess in the kitchen together. One is prideful. One is humble. They may be handling the raging hormones of puberty in different ways, different struggles, Patience. different positions in the family, one has the courage to fail while the other fears failure. Reminds me of the parable of a son who said, would obey, but then doesn't. And one who said no to his father, but then goes out and does. They have different brains. Ha Their thoughts are different. Their views instilled virtues, different teachers. Appetites have been nurtured. Uh, one is more interested in being cool than the other when it's confident when
1: it's not let me introduce you to the time that's 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 really good i'm gonna make a a really aggressive accusation and say that i think some of you are arguing from a conclusion that might not be justified i'm just putting that bluntly because i'm mean but let me let me throw a question at you this way is it a sin to be a reluctant learner complaining is a sin sometimes depends mostly depends on the cause of the reluctance
2: someone says it goes back to the heart someone says it it's necessarily a
1: hard issue is it so yeah. okay somebody brought up the cause and in, in fact all of you all of you hinted at cause there you go charlie the cause of reluctance right all of you in one way well there you go we're all reluctant learners right Um, Yeah, we're talking about a child, but this might surprise you. They don't learn any differently than we do, not when it comes to their attitudes. Just as you try to get your work done quickly and efficiently so that it's over with, so they do. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And if they don't have to do it, if there's a way to get out of doing it because it's not important to them, that's what they do. That's just practical. That's not even necessarily a sin. That's just practical. So I want to come back to the cause question. I think this is the way I'll put it, very simply. What causes a child to be reluctant? And, and already you've, you've said quite a few things about it, but let's look at that. What causes a child to be reluctant? You you've said it's not necessarily a sin. Some mm-hmm. of you right away emphatically said it's not a sin. Ooh. Safe. Golly. phew. You guys are making me feel very compassionate toward this reluctant learner. Mm. I had this this thought today, this, um, I can't remember the context now. Yeah, more bored than reluctant, but boredom makes you reluctant, doesn't it? I think that we have put kids in the school system that I grew up in, and I think what Andrew experienced in California, we grew up with a, inhumane structure that squelched interest by the time you were in third grade. Now, my time's up, but I wanna ask you a question. During this 15 minutes or so, this 15 minutes that we were exploring the reluctant learner versus the, the learning and what to do about it, was anybody here uninterested? Were any of you reluctant to participate in this discussion? Okay, let me ask, there's a, there's a, why, there's a yes up there, and it's, and it's to the panel, uncertainty, okay? Uncertainty about where we were going? Okay, thank you. I want to just take, can I do this, Andrea, take 30 seconds to explain two things. One is, what was my, let's call it technique, my mm-hmm. approach to, to exploring this question, and two, what I was hoping would come from it? what I was showing you, whether you knew this or not, what I was showing you was how powerful the common topics are. Did anybody catch that? Okay. So for you, it's old hat. You didn't need it. Boring. I was seeking information from you, right? What did I do? I asked you, what do you mean by reluctant? What do you mean by a learner? Then we got these two learners and I said, compare them. Now, we didn't get to the end of the lesson. What I would have done eventually is, well, well, then we talked about relationships, in particular, the relationship of cause and effect, right? Mm -hmm. Understand, cause and effect are relationships. So I wanted to know what causes reluctance. We didn't get into circumstances or anything like that. Eventually, I would have tried to, to, uh, to have each of you come up with something like a definition or... Uh, an application that says children are reluctant for these reasons if I have a reluctant learner in my home or my classroom this is what I could try I'm just going to say this much for now believe me this is a big issue it'll be coming up a lot in fact I'm kind of always talking about this even if I'm not talking about it the point about the Holy Trinity sometimes we're reluctant because we're not disciplined but sometimes we're reluctant because we're not inspired. Those two things have to come together for us to 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 um, perceive the truth, to, to stay with it. Inspiration needs to at least sometimes come, but sometimes it fades, and you've got to be disciplined. And so I wanna I want to um, I want for now. Let me just leave that to you to think about. And think about ways that you can bring together discipline and and inspiration in the way you teach your children. But it's imperative to me, imperative to me, to express that reluctance is not, in my opinion, ever about learning. I believe that children always want to learn. It's that what's happening right now has not made them believe that they 're going to learn, and that 's not necessarily the fault of the teacher that might just be their stage in life that might just be their perceptive power so we 'll pick this we 'll pick this question up again we 'll talk about it a lot in fact, as I said, I never talked about anything other than this question looked at from one angle okay so i 'm going to obey now chop my head off and, and hand it over to Andrea for um the next five questions.
2: Okay, this one is from last night. Could you please repeat what you said about the King James Version being the only literary version? I think what, oh.
1: I can take it, I can can figure out. Okay. I'll just take it at that. So what I mean by that is that historically, literarily, and rhetorically, it functions on a different theory of translation and interpretation that leads practically to a translation that is incredibly beautiful, that became, that became the, 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 the number one formative influence on the stabilization of the English language because it was so good. Not just because it was enforced, right? It wasn't just disciplined, it was also breathing. And it's just such an incredibly beautiful translation. And part of that is because they had a rhetorical theory in the 16th century and early 17th century that shifted. I can't go into what that is exactly right now, but it shifted radically under the influence of empiricism and under the influence of Peter Ramus and others from a much more, I would say, biblical rhetorical theory to a much more modernist one. Okay. I don't mean it's the only inspired translation. Okay, Andrea.
2: Okay. You have defined this before for me, but my brain is still grappling to see it. Please define cosmology.
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) In one minute. Okay. Mm -hmm. You guys care about meanings, do you? Okay, so cosmology comes from two Greek words, cosmos and logos. Any word that ends with logos, with logi, comes like biology It comes from logos, and logos is an expansive, vast Greek word that in that context usually means something like the study of something, but really it means the ordering principle of something. Cosmos is the idea that the universe is, in fact, a cosmos, and that's different from a universe, and it's certainly different from what modern science teaches because cosmos comes from the Greek word that originally meant ornament. The idea is that a cosmos is a thing that's unified by a principle. It is harmonious throughout, and it can be understood in in that light. Okay? So a cosmology is the theory or the understanding of everything in that single principle unifying and flowing through the whole thing. In other words, the whole thing makes sense. A cosmology is the... um, Theory built on the idea that everything makes sense, except for human behavior.
2: Oh, that doesn't make it easy. All right, your next question, sir. Can you recommend a Latin curriculum, and at what age the student should begin learning Latin?
1: Well, students should begin learning Latin the same time they start learning their own language. There's no reason why you can't be saying the Lord's Prayer in Latin to the baby in the womb. Um, uh, I, I used to walk around the, um, the house with my grandchild, um, Coulter and we'd, we'd march going ambulamus, which means we walk, but you know, we'd be just and he'd have fun with it. You can start very early. There's, there's a 1000, uh, first Latin word picture book that doesn't even have any English words in it. Go ahead and don't take pressure on yourself. Forget it. Don't take pressure on yourself. Just, just. Get a picture book and learn it. And I don't know it either. You you learn it by getting the books, right? And 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 the the Classical Academic Press has wonderful stuff for kids. My favorite program, as soon as you can use it, is Hans Orberg O E R B E R G Lingua Latina. And um, I don't have the. the yes, I do. Um, this this book is this book is a work of unparalleled genius. This is it. Probably you'd want to wait till about middle school for this. And then you can get the recording on on, um, Amazon for $10 and you can hear him listen. You can hear him read it. Oh, very good. Very good. I love that. I love that. All right.
2: All right. There is a follow-up question to the second dish question. How is cosmology different than worldview?
1: oh boy (laughs) it's an old term and worldview is a new one okay so so the way i'll put it this way is that the highest level of really picky precise philosophy which is how i'm thinking right now worldview is what you have to have because you don't have a cosmology in other words you don't believe that you can know the universe you live in so you have a view of the world this is a term that was developed by a german thinker named i think it was hoffman or maybe Hauptmann. And then Immanuel Kant popularized it around the year 1800 in his works because he did not seem to believe that our mind is capable of knowing the world as it is. We only can have a view of the world. The German word is Weltanschauung, okay? A cosmology rejects that. A cosmology says, no, we belong here. We live in this universe and we can know it. Can we know it perfectly? No, but we can know it. And there's all the difference, therefore, between a cosmology and a worldview. Now, um, that doesn't mean in our context that a worldview, am I done? A a, a worldview has value. The, the, The term was popularized by Francis Schaeffer because Christians were thinking about everything so fragmented, and he wanted a concept to bring it back into a whole, and that's the value of it. Done.
2: Thank you. And so here's a question that follows up on your 15 minutes discussion. My six and a half year old is a perfectionist. She's hesitant to begin school and our first few weeks ended up in much pushback and tears. Could this be a sign I'm starting too early? Do I need a new approach?
1: That's such a particular question for a particular person. So I don't, 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 I have a minute. Don't, don't take this as anything more than generalized reflections. It's possible. A child who is a perfectionist is probably born that way and will always have that tendency and therefore it's not something you should try to cure them of. It is something that you should try to balance um, and they need to come to terms with the fact that it's okay to fail. That's one of the most crucial things for a perfectionist. Um, Come up with ways, I think it's safe to say it, come up with ways, come up with things that she has to do that she can't succeed at But it won't be a colossal failure. There won't be shame in it, right? This is the problem with math, frankly, is that people feel this shame that they can't do it, right? Because we hate ignorance. And so I don't think math is going to be the perfect cure for her. As a perfectionist, she probably is either really good at math or hates it. Um, But just do it, right? Daily discipline, lots of forgiveness. Wish I could help more, (laughs) but I'm a perfectionist, so that's the best I can do. Yeah, fantastic at math. That makes sense. Because, you know, a perfectionist loves the order of math. So so then don't let her not do literature, right? I don't. I just don't succeed ever. I, oh, you know what I do? This is this true. Andrew will probably laugh at this and then realize what a terrible thing it is and then stop laughing. I think what I do is, is I try to do everything – and then I weigh myself down with all of it so I can't possibly succeed. And then I get crushed by it and say, well, I couldn't possibly have succeeded. I make excuses. I, I, build, I, build, I, build, a, I build a stress situation around me so that I can't possibly succeed. It's something you really it take. I, I, I don't know that I'd really consider myself a perfectionist. But I have that tendency, and I'm vain, and I think I'm much smarter and better than I am. And so, you know, I try to do too much and I fail. And but, so I run from it, you know, but I've got excuses then. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is you can't you can't you can't allow for excuses. You can't allow for excuses and complaining. I think I want to tell you, I'm going to end with a story. People have been asking about icons, so I'm going to tell a story. One time I was talking to, the, to, to an unspeakably holy person. And I said, what do I have to do to become holy? And before I even finished saying what I was saying, even before the words left that person's mouth, I heard the person say, don't complain. And And I remember... It, well first of all what I remember is I didn't have a response. I didn't have a thought because it it wasn't in a certain sense it wasn't spoken to my mind. If you follow me it was spoken to my heart and there was nothing I could do. There was no response I could have. I just had to take the blow. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about it. And I started examining. I I complain all the time. And I and I and I've come to realize that probably That's it. If I if I never allowed myself to complain, I probably would become a holy person. That's all related to that's all related to uh, perfectionism, I think. Well, I have a picture behind me. Somebody keeps asking about maybe we'll get to it one of these days. I don't know. Trying to keep that person coming back, you know. Well, thank you all for coming. I, I'm, I, I can't communicate to you how much I am honored by you being here and how much it means to me that, that that you listen to me talk. It just makes me laugh at you. But anyway, thank you, and, and may the Lord remember you in His kingdom.